1: Amen. Wrong one. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 before we go to Titus tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I've been putting the deacons on the spot on Sunday nights in particular, right before the message, asking them, hey, you guys know any good jokes that would go along with the message? And uh, so tonight I said, uh, Elmer, in particular, do you uh, know any good jokes about somebody who doesn't want to work? He said, "I don't want to work." And the real, the real humor of that is he's one of the hardest working men in this church. <laughs> he knows how to work. But uh, I, I, to, I told the guys, you know, my grandfather used to tell a joke about uh, someone who was too lazy that he wouldn't shell his own peanuts. But I, I can't, I couldn't remember exactly how it went, so I'm not, I'm not going to try to butcher it here tonight, but James tells us that God expects us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well, to take what God has told us, to take the tools that God has given us and to put them to use to get to work. And perhaps the most powerful form of Deception in the world today is self-deception. Because when we are self-deceived, our own pride reinforces the deception. Mark Twain opined that it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Because we don't want to ever admit that we were taken for a fool. And so when we self-deceive, the pride becomes the chains that hold us to... The lie. Don't be deceived. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, our salvation has nothing to do with our works in the terms of earning our salvation. Our salvation is not based on works, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But as I remind you often, and once I get to the point where you think, all right, enough already, we get it. Then I, I know I'm almost there at reminding you enough that verse 10 of Ephesians 2 goes on to say, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, with which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't be deceived by what you know about the scripture. The question is, how are you using what you know? Don't be deceived to think that because we're saved by grace that we are rewarded by grace alone. Yes, salvation is based on God's grace. And yes, we could say that even the fact that God would think to reward us is His grace. But God's rewards, our heavenly and eternal rewards, are based on our service. Look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, we give God the glory for the increase, but God wants us to do some planting and do some watering. Look at verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall, look at this next part, receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye that are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. We are the temple of God. Of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we as individuals are the temple. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. But that's chapter six. First, in chapter three, Paul says that we as the body of Christ, we as the church are also the temple. We're not a temple made of stones. We are a temple made of flesh and blood. Nevertheless, the Spirit of God dwells not just in us, but within the congregation, within the gathering, within the fellowship of us. And notice verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For no other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, as I was used by God, to begin this church, to be the to be the one who God chose to plant this church. The planting, the foundation is Christ. It's not me. The church, Paul says, is not built on me. It is built on Christ, but the church is built up. By God, yes, but also by those of us who co-labor with God, we have the great honor and the great privilege of serving with God in building up the church. In building on not our own foundation, not our own charisma, not our own opinions, not our own emotions, but upon building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And verse 12, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, in you corporately, as we gather today today, The Holy Spirit is here among us. Christ is here in his spirit as the spirit moves among us. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now let's stop there. And let me make a few comments before we go back to Titus. When I was young, I used to think, when we got, I don't know where I got this idea. I don't know who's, who's the one that promoted this idea. I used to think that when we all get to heaven, there's going to be like this big projector screen and all the sin that we ever committed is going to go up on the screen and everybody's going to see what a wicked person I was and all the wicked things I used to think and all the wicked things I used to do, but I never got caught. Everybody's going to see it. And is that what Paul's take, talking about here? Absolutely not. No. Because your sin is removed as far as east is from the west your sin has the sin debt has been paid in full by the blood of jesus christ shed in his death on the cross our sin debt is paid i am forgiven i don't like the term eternal security although i believe in eternal security i I like the term eternal life because that's the term jesus used everlasting life if you have everlasting life, that means you can't die again. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. I cannot die spiritually ever again. I have everlasting life. If I could die again, it wouldn't be very everlasting. I have everlasting life. And people say, well, what about, uh, what about when you sin? Well, I don't believe. Based on the authority of Scripture, there is anywhere in the Bible where you could show that God unforgives you we are forgiven forever god does not unforgive you of your sin so what's passing through the fire then not your sin that's already been paid for that's been removed that's been washed white by the blood of jesus you are declared you have already been declared the moment you become a believer in christ and a member of the church you are declared righteous you are placed inside of christ Just like a piece of paper goes into a book and it's closed and you don't see the paper. When God looks at you, he sees his son because legally you are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not based on your own righteousness. But what passes through the fire is everything else. Everything else. Everything that's not a sin. That's been paid for. But how did you spend your time? How did you spend your talents? How did you spend your treasures? Paul would go on in this uh, this very letter several times and say all things are expedient, all things are, are lawful, excuse me, all things are lawful but not all things are expedient or not all things are beneficial. Just because something is not a sin does not mean it should be something that you devote your life to. And what is the reality is what we do for the Lord is what is going to be passed through the fire. And what we do for everything else is going to pass through the fire. And Paul warns that there are Christians who their whole life is not talking about our sin, but they don't do anything for God. They get saved and then they sit and they don't They do nothing for God. They don't serve. They sit. Every prayer you pray, everything that you do, every letter you write that the pastor never sees, that no everything that you do that never gets praised, never gets mentioned, God sees. God sees it. And if you do it for the Lord, if you work heartily as to the Lord and not to men, everybody's gonna know it someday. Because all of those prayers. And all of those late nights and all of those early mornings and all of those tables that got set up and torn down and all of those phone calls that got made and all of those things, they're going to pass through the fire. And what's going to come out if it was done for the Lord is gold and silver and precious stones and eternal rewards. And what's going to happen if every penny I had that was extra got spent on myself? And every minute that I had free, I spent it on myself. Not a sin to have a hobby. Not a sin to have a hobby. But what's going to happen in the day of judgment? <sighs> Wood, devil. stubble. Puff of smoke. He will suffer loss, Paul said. He's not going to lose his salvation. He's already in heaven. He's already saved. But he will be saved as by fire. In other words, He's going to be shown that all that he lived for was just himself. They thought, hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven someday. It doesn't matter. I got a free ticket. What is at stake is not your soul. What is at stake is your rewards. Are you willing to work sincerely for God? Not for the preacher's praise, because I will forget to thank you. I will. I will forget to. Acknowledge you. I will forget to make that phone call. I will forget to um, to do uh, what I should do, and that's my accountability before God. But you're not accountable for what I forget. I'm accountable for what I get. You're accountable for what you remember to do. So go with me to Titus, Titus chapter three, as we look at these verses together in Titus chapter three. And I want to talk to you tonight about devoted to doing. Now remember. Titus' threefold theme given to us at the beginning of this book. Uh, We are, every church, we are to advance the faith, we are to proclaim the truth, and we're to inspire godliness. That means that we are to advance the the system, the public profession that preaches and defends the gospel. That's what we're to advance. That's what we're about. We're not to advance social change, although a Christian who is salt and light will be involved in, in social change, but that's not what the mission of the church is. We are to advance the faith, we're to advance the gospel, we're to proclaim the truth, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what God's word says. Lord willing, tomorrow morning, I'll be teaching from Second Timothy to the middle school and high school at at Calvary Christian Academy, and we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter three, and hopefully we're going to get into chapter four tomorrow. If not, we'll get there next Monday. Monday where Paul tells Timothy to preach the word to be instant in season and out of season. In other words, when it's popular, you preach it. And when it's not popular, you preach it. You don't skip over because, well, what will people think? Well, what if they protest outside our church? You preach the word. You preach it when it's popular. You preach it when it's unpopular. And you inspire godliness and godliness has been the focus of the last few weeks living out our faith in obedience look at titus chapter three we're going to uh begin in verse one but first of all let's jump to verse eight and i want you to to see this because this is the framework of what we're going to look at tonight paul says to titus this is a faithful saying and these things i will that thou affirm notice the next word constantly constant preacher why do you keep repeating yourself Because there are things, sometimes it's because I forget, okay? But there are things that we are commanded as pastors, we're commanded as Bible teachers to repeat over and over and over to affirm them constantly because we are all sieves. We all leak. We all forget. We all need reminders. We'll come back to that. But notice this. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And so tonight... Titus chapter 3, devoted to doing. Now, I want to go over a number of things that Paul shares here, but let's go back to verse 1 and uh, we'll read these verses and then we'll unpack them together. Uh, number uh, Verse 1, chapter 3. But put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But God. But after He says that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, with the time that we have tonight, I want to very quickly go over eight things in this passage of scripture that we are commanded as pastors to affirm constantly because we all need to be reminded of these things and not only to be reminded but to be devoted to doing these things number one verse one remember to submit to human authorities oh i don't like that one we're starting off on a bad foot with the preacher. Remember, I, t- I tell you guys, there are a lot, of this, a lot of things in this book I don't like. A lot of things in this book I don't agree with. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. But it's not this book that needs to change. It's, it's me that needs to change. It's me that needs to correct my thought process. We have to remember to be subject The word subject here means to willingly put ourselves under the authority. We willingly put ourselves under the authority of principalities and powers. Now, unless a leader is actively opposing God's truth, we are to try as best as we can to honor their authority, whether they deserve the respect or not. The position that they hold deserves respect. Our honor and our respect and we should seek as a Peter says it as a testimony in 1st Peter chapter 2 we do this as a testimony to the world that we are submitting to the authority because as Paul says in Romans there is no authority except for what God has established God has established human authority God is the one who established human governments he will hold the abusers of power he will hold them accountable And every abusive law and every wicked rule and every underhand and backhand deal that subverts justice and that corrupts society, he has all eternity, if they're not saved, to get that back out of them in judgment. And if they are saved, there is a tremendous loss of rewards, I do not want to stand before Jesus Christ and be ashamed. A lot of Christians will stand and be ashamed. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we're to study to show ourselves, uh, uh, study to show thyself to prove unto God a workman, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And how do we do that? By rightly dividing the word of truth. But we have to be diligent if we don't want to be ashamed. If I'm not diligent about... Understanding God's word and then uh, putting it into practice, applying it to my life, then I'm going to stand before God. I'll be saved, absolutely, but I'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Wood, hay, stubble, and I'll be ashamed. We have to, as much as we can, make sure that we are submitting to human authority and let God take care of the rest. Now, as I've said before, uh, the highest law, we our country is a little bit different. The highest law, Law in our country is the Constitution, and so uh, if a leader is violating the Constitution, we are to follow the higher law. Obviously, the highest authority is God Himself, and there are times when, in Acts chapter four, Acts chapter five, when Peter the apostle, said, "We have to. If we're going to make a choice, we got to obey God rather than men." Amen. But unless we are made forced to make that choice, we should seek and notice here the three levels here: principalities, powers, magistrates. The word principalities is RK oftentimes when Paul uses these phrases, he's not talking about human authorities, interestingly enough. But the context here is human authority and a principality. The word means the first in order of authority. It means whoever the head boss is at the time, whoever is in charge powers means one who has been delegated authority. In other words, there's the bo- Maybe you work for a company and there's the owner of the company. They're the principality of that company. And then underneath them, there's management. That is the powers of the company. You're to try to honor your manager unless they try to tell you to do something that violates what the owner wants. And then you have to go and you have to adhere to the higher authority. And then the word magistrate here in context means anyone who has a higher rank than you. Anyone who has a higher rank than you. So when I, for example, when I started out in retail, I was just a lowly employee and I had a manager at the top and I had a assistant manager under him who was still over me. And then there was also a third key who was under the assistant manager, but was also in authority over me whenever the management was not there. And then whenever the district manager would show up, then all of a sudden, we go up above the manager. we got to listen to what the district manager says. That's what he's saying here. He's saying wherever you are in in the strata, you need to humble yourself and willfully put uh, yourself under the authority. As a witness, Peter says, we put ourselves under human authority. Number two, while we are doing that, living under authority, humbling ourselves, We also need to look for opportunities to serve others. He says to be ready to every good work. The Christian faith is not primarily passive. It is not merely defined by what we are against. But also what we do. Now, I I, I sometimes hear Christians say, well, I don't want to be defined by what I'm against. Well, I'm sorry, but. Uh, Jesus was defined by what he was against. The apostles were defined by what they were against. If you're not angry at the things that made Jesus angry, you have a problem. There's a problem there. You should get angry about the things that made Jesus angry. You should react the way the scripture commands us to react. But we are not primarily passive in our faith or protestant in the sense that we're defined by what we're against. We should be known by our love, love in actions, Jesus said they will know that we are Christians. They'll know that we're his disciples by our love, starting with love for one another. And then also how we serve our fellow man. And so we need to, yes, expose the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5:11). But we should also be marked by the things for which we stand and the way that we love and serve one another remember to submit to human authorities look for opportunities to serve others there are tremendous opportunities to serve in this church there are tremendous opportunities to serve in uh, different ministries in our outreach ministries again I'll just uh, point you uh, to talk to Jana um, not just about the upcoming crusade but uh, there are a number of different outreach ministries that we can get involved in Um, uh, Elmer's always looking for um substitute teachers in our Sunday morning Bible study classes. We have uh, other opportunities to serve. There are plenty of service. Uh, Marty, you still need some grass cutters. We still need some grass cutters. So uh, there's, a, there's an area where you can serve uh, the church and be a testimony because we don't want the church to look uh, like we don't care about God's property, right? We want to take care of God's property. And so those are things that are all... Uh, all important, Donna. I bet you probably could use some more singers in the choir. Yes, uh, Monday practices, correct? So six thirty Mondays, if you want to get involved. And listen, I could go on and on and on. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna strive to do a better job of highlighting some of our ministries, especially as we get uh, through Easter. But look for opportunities to serve others. Number three. Number three. To speak evil of no man. The word speak evil is one Greek word. It's blasphemy. It means uh, it's the word from which we get blasphemy to slander. Here's what Paul says to us. Say, why I don't. I don't want to submit to them and I don't want to serve them because this, this, this and this. Make sure. Whatever you say about anybody, you know, to be the truth you know that it's the truth. There is a tremendous epidemic of slander in our culture today. People will say anything about anybody who's on a different political aisle, about someone in, um, uh, in ministry, about someone at work, about someone where you go to school that they don't get along with, that you don't like. It's so easy to slander, to say things that are not true And to degrade people, even when we're saying truth, we're always to speak the truth in love. We're always to speak. That doesn't mean that we don't say hard things because Jesus said some hard things. Jesus Jesus said some really hard things to the Pharisees. I mean, he he called them uh, whitewashed tombs. He called them the blind leading the blind. Why would he use such strong language? Wasn't he being rude and hateful to them? No, he was being protective of the people they were abusing. He was being protective of the people they were leading to hell. And so he was calling them out. That's not slander. He wasn't saying anything that was not true. Be very careful, though, that when we are criticizing someone that we stick with the facts that we know and that we do not say things that are not true. I remember once when I was a youth pastor, there was a conflict between one of my Let's just call him one of my problem students, okay? The uh, thorn in the flesh minister of Satan, that would, be, that would be slander. That would be overstating it, okay? He was not that bad. But he was a constant uh, distraction during youth. And there was a conflict one time between him and one of my best friends at the time who was a volunteer in my youth group. And she got angry with him at a youth event. And she said in front of everyone else, I hate you. Well, mom and dad came to talk to the youth pastor. And I said, well, I didn't hear it, but I'll find out. And I just didn't believe it. So I went to her and I said, did you say to so-and-so, I hate you? And She said, no, I did not. So I went back to the parents and I thought, well, surely he's the one who's telling the lie and surely she's the one who's telling the truth because she's my friend and he's a problem. And so we had that conversation. And I can tell you that I got some angry eyes from, from Mama when I said, I don't think that she said that. And then I found out she did say that. And I had to eat crow, right? We are very easy sometimes to assume the worst about people that we don't get along with or who have caused us problems in the past, and we need to be very, very careful that we do not slander someone based on hearsay, based on things that we don't know. Do not speak evil of anyone. James in James chapter three says that Christians must never belittle other people. He says, how do you, how is it, church, that you come together and you sing my praises and then you turn right around and on the way home and he didn't say in, when you're driving home in the car, but that's how we would contextualize that for us today. That's how we would apply it to our circumstance. You're, you're singing praises to God, and then you're driving home and you're. And it and it may be stuff that's not even true. And that's where the slander comes in. Well, I bet they think this, or I bet they were. Yeah. We, we, become, we become very slanderous and critical. And James says, out of the same mouth? come praising, and my brothers this should not be so so let's be very careful that we don't slander anyone number four that we pursue peace with everyone and we don't seek to create conflict enough conflict is going to come folks you don't have to look for it you don't have to stir it up it's coming anyway so don't seek it out pursue peace See, the word here is uh, translated uh, to be no brawler's Is how it's translated in the King James. This includes physical conflict, like an actual brawler, but it also includes verbal conflict. Sometimes it's what we don't say. Sometimes it's the shunning that is an act of conflict and not an act of peace. Christians should be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We should pursue peace. Paul says, as much as depends on you, Romans 12, live at peace with everyone. It's not always possible. There are people that you are not going to be able to live at peace with. You're just not. We're not commanded to make peace at all costs, but we are commanded to pursue peace as much as depends on us. So that when I stand before God, we can honestly say, I, I tried to make peace with them and they just would not. They just would not forgive or they just would not listen or they would just would not let go. And so we're, we're not we're not responsible for other people's feelings. We're not responsible for other people's actions, but we are responsible for our own. So don't be a brawler. I spend a lot less time on social media so that I don't brawl like I used to so that I don't get caught up in pointless arguments with oftentimes foolish people. Not always. But there is a time to answer a fool according to his folly, and there is a time to not answer a fool according to his folly. And don't become a fool by arguing with a fool, by trying to create conflict. Don't be someone who's always stirring the pot. Pursue peace. Don't be a brawler. Number five but be gentle, but be gentle. Now, this word in the Greek that is translated gentle actually literally translates as equitable. And I know that's kind of a dirty word because of how it, like many words, has been twisted in our culture today. Love has been twisted. Justice has been twisted. Many, many words have been twisted by the devil. I tell you often, the devil is in the dictionary. And he loves to change the meaning of, of the words. What, what matters is what God means by the word, not what we think it should mean. The word equitable means to be truly fair, to, that we're not overly strict, that we pursue the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And so I would say to you from verse 2, seek the spirit, not the letter of the law. Now, this word has legal And moral overtones and implications. And what it's saying to us in this simple Greek word is that we are to use the law to protect ourselves and to protect others. But we're not to use the law and the system of government to unduly punish or overburden those people that we simply don't like and don't get along with. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to pursue justice because, again, if, as, as Jesus attacked the Pharisees, he was attacking them to protect their victims. We should hold people accountable. We should hold abusive people accountable so that we are protecting the people that they have abused or that they continue to abuse. But we should not use the law as a way to try to crush people, to try to make them pay because then we're not really seeking justice. By the way, this also means we're not to try to always find technicalities and loopholes in the law that undermine the very clear intentions of the law. We pay lip service to submission to authority, but we spend all of our time trying to look for the loopholes and we're really uh, undermining the intention of clear laws. And and so we, we bring this uh, to the scriptures many times. We're not under. The law of moses anymore with the law of moses has been fulfilled in jesus christ but paul says we're not that doesn't mean we're lawless we're still under the law of christ and so there are things that god has has uh, given us as requirements god commands us to love the lord our god with all our hearts soul, mind our strength god commands us to love our neighbor as ourself and an example of a loophole looker is the the man who said well well who's my neighbor who's my neighbor Oh, I don't, I don't think they're my neighbor, so I think I can, you know, the, technically, technically, they're not really my neighbor. So I don't really have to do that. And looking for that loophole, and let, no, God sees through that. God, God says, what is the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law is that we show love to one another and show the love of Christ to others. So uh, as Paul says in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5, Galatians chapter five, verse 13, brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And uh, Peter in first Peter, chapter two, verse 16 says, as free men, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So seek the spirit, not the letter of the law. Number six. Stay calm. In conflict. Stay calm in conflict, showing all meekness unto all men. The word showing here in Greek means to prove, to indicate or to prove what you say you believe. We prove what we say we believe by how we treat others and by how we react to others. And the word meekness is so misunderstood in our culture, even in the church today. The Greek word literally means gentle strength. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. You ever tried to ride a horse? How many of you have been on the back of a horse? Okay. You want that power to be under control. You don't want to get bucked off. You, don't want, you didn't go to the rodeo, right? You're not, you're not trying to get on a bucking bronco when you want to go for a horse ride. You want that power to be restrained. You want to have a saddle on it, unless you're really into horses and you know how to ride bareback. But I'm guessing most of us have never ridden bareback. Maybe, maybe some of us have. I don't know. Probably a saddle, and you want a bridle in that thing. You want a bit in that horse's mouth. You want to have that power under control. That horse may be tremendously powerful, but you want the power to be under control. And listen, God wants our power to be under control. He wants us to have gentle strength. Power with reserve and gentleness is how Helps Word Studies says it. And so this is true of physical power, but this, listen, in context, this is also true of those of us who have positions of power. Those of us, we are the manager. We are the boss. We are the owner of the company. We are the politician. We are the political figure. We have the position at church where we have some authority over others. And we are to make sure that we are not abusive in those positions of authority, but that we use them to serve. And I would just we could do a whole series on this, but just would point you to Numbers chapter 12, verse three where we are told that Moses was the meekest man on earth at that time. By the way, Moses is not the one who wrote that, okay? The scribe that God inspired Moses uh, to use and that God inspired to work with Moses to do the actual writing. We know that Moses used the scribe because Deuteronomy doesn't end with his death. It keeps going. Well, I used to, as a kid, I used to think, how did Moses write that if he was dead? He didn't. The scribe wrote it. The scribe he was using. And so the scribe also added that by the way, the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you how meek Moses was. The most powerful man in the world at that time because he was the anointed leader of God's people and he was given supernatural power as the symbols of his authority. And yet, he was the meekest man. He had that power under control. He used his authority only as it was under the will of God and only as it benefited the people that he served. Do not use your power abusively. And the reward for that, by the way, is that the meek will inherit the earth. Now let me give you two more things very quickly before we close. The other thing that we need to remember constantly and to remind ourselves as Christians constantly is the gospel. Remember The gospel and Paul breaks it down into four things here. Remember who you were before Christ. Remember the mercy of Christ that saved you. You didn't save yourself. You didn't change yourself. Remember the work of the Holy Spirit in changing your life and remember the hope. That we have. When we've been justified by his grace, why? Why do we remember the gospel in this context? Because if I am dealing with relationships and I'm dealing with service, I'm going to run into some people who seem like a lost cause. Now, the Bible does tell us that there are some times that God will harden someone's heart and that God will reprobate somebody. But God doesn't tell us who that is. God doesn't tell us that God sees that we don't see that. I'm not to look at anyone, anyone in my family, anyone where I work, anyone where I go to school, anyone in my neighborhood. I'm not to see anyone at church. I'm not to see anyone in this neighborhood who would never darken the door of this church. I am never to see anyone as a lost cause because I need to remember who I was before Jesus Christ changed me. I didn't change myself. Everything good in me is the Holy Spirit. Everything good in me is the work of Jesus Christ. Through his spirit, everything good in me is the fruit of the spirit that is produced. It's his love. It's his joy. It's his peace. It's his long suffering. It's his self-control. It's not mine. I can't take credit for any of that. And so as I'm dealing with other people and I'm like, I don't want to submit to them. And as I'm dealing with other people and I'm like, I don't want to serve them and as I'm dealing with other people. And it's like, I, I have an opportunity now to get even with them. And God says, be meek and restrain yourself. Paul says, remember, Titus. Remember what you were like. Remember what I was like. You remember what Paul was like? Standing, holding the coats as everybody else was stoning the first martyr of the church and Paul's standing there. And Stephen's praying. And Stephen's prayer Touched Paul's life. Paul is an answer to Stephen's prayer. As he's standing there. And Paul, who had murderous intent towards any Christian before his Damascus Road experience. He says, I want you to remember, Titus. We ourselves were foolish. <laughs> we were disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust pleasures. We were the ones living in mouths. And I know for maybe some of it, maybe you were saved when you were a child like I was, and maybe you weren't all that bad. But listen, as a Christian, I've, I've been reminded of my own sinfulness way too many times. Remember who you were or would be without Christ. Remember the mercy of Christ after the kindness of the love of God, our Savior towards us appeared. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done. it's His mercy. It's the work of the Spirit, the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And now my hope is not in this world. Now my hope is that having been justified by his grace, I'm an heir of the hope of eternal life. So my hope isn't in this world. My hope isn't in my status as an American citizen. My hope isn't in my bank account or my stocks. My hope isn't in anything that this world has to offer. My hope is eternal hope. And if I really believe that and constantly remind myself of that, then I will work like it. I will serve like it. And so again, I would close with this reminder of verse 8. Constantly remind yourselves of these things. Constantly. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm Constantly, I, I love Second Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. He says, I'm, I'm writing to you, I'm about to die, guys. I'm about to die, and I'm writing things to you to remind you because I'm not going to be here to remind you. And guess what, guys? You need to be reminded of some things. Well, I already know that you need reminded, guys. We need reminded, and all our wives said, Amen. We need reminders. I've told you before about the guy who was getting so frustrated with his wife. She said, when are you going to fix this sink? He said, honey, I promised you I was going to fix this sink. I'm going to fix this sink. You don't have to remind me every three months. Sometimes we're like that with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, Holy Spirit, you don't have to keep reminding me. I'll get to that. Wasn't that your New Year's resolution, DJ, um, five years ago? We need reminded. We need reminded of these things. And so in closing, verse 8, I would say to you, just do it. Just do it. Make the commitment. Affirm the commitment and then keep the commitment. Be devoted to doing these things because these things are good and profitable unto all men. Let's close in prayer. Father, I ask God that you would, um, by your spirit, Help us to remember these things, God. Show us through your Holy Spirit the reminders that are around us of your cross, of your grace, of what we were like and would be like without Jesus, of God, the need to be submissive, the need to serve, the need to be salt and light. And God, the fact that we're doing this with the hope of eternal life and God knowing that you will reward us when we serve you. God, we don't even deserve, we don't even deserve to visit heaven. And yet you have not only made us citizens of heaven, you have made us members of your own family and, and God, as members of the family, help us to, to do the family work to do the chores you've given to us as your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I just ask you, as we normally do on Sunday nights, just to spend a few moments, bow your head in prayer. The altar's open if you have a need, if you need to pray with someone. Uh, One of our deacons, one of our deacons' wives would be happy to pray with you. Maybe there's some business you need to do with the Lord right where you're seated. I just want to give you the opportunity to spend some time with the Holy Spirit right now before we go. manner of love you have bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And so, God, as your children, as we go out, we go out uh, needing your strength, needing your um, grace, but, God, confident of your forgiveness, God. We are so thankful that we are not only allowed, but commanded to come boldly before the throne of grace, to find mercy and to find grace in time of need. God, we all stumble in many ways. We need that grace, God, help us to to live by faith in that grace, in that mercy, in that kindness, and to serve you with all the strength you've given to us. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you on Wednesday night. You are dismissed.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10:30 a.m. Sunday evening service at 6 30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6 30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays and our WANA program for sixth grade and under meets at 6 15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again we thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you soon but until next time stay faithful.